Good morning. Welcome to Wine, Women, and Writing Radio, where we talk about authentic, complex female characters and the real life experiences that they're based on and how those translate into great fiction. I'm Pamela Fagan Hutchins, and I'm your host, and I'm coming to you today from the wilds of Wyoming. And just to show that I'm never scared to do video, I have a house full today that have driven me into a new space to record. So imagine I'm in the red, if you will, here. Either that or you're wearing rose-colored glasses because everything looks pink. I have something special for you today. I had the chance to read a fantastic book last month, um, one that takes the question of what it means to be a woman and what it means to be human and attempts to answer it by diving 40,000 years into the past to the life of a Neanderthal girl. And this best-selling, number one in Canada, best-selling and award-winning book is written by the delightful Claire Cameron. And so I'd like to welcome her to Wine, Women, and Writing today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Claire's coming to us. We do. We need wine. If you were having a glass of wine, Claire, what is your drink of preference? Your wine of preference? I usually I do red in the winter, and right now I'm in the rosé transition, and then I'll go to white in the summer. We I live in Canada, where I'm in Toronto, so we have very distinct seasons. So you've got to like keep your drink moving with that. <laughs> I love that. Seasonal wine. I really never thought of it that way, but it works. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so if you were, one of the things I was thinking about in terms of the show, if you're a Neanderthal, you didn't have wine um, and you needed to keep your wits about you. So how, how does a Neanderthal woman relax and, and chat with girlfriends? Well, um, in my book, Girl, who the, she's, um, considered a woman by Neanderthal. She's actually like by our standards, fairly young, but uh, she, she would tell you it was a full belly, you know, that there's no greater satisfaction than really gorging after you get to eat. And that I came across from uh, how, when I'm in the mountains or outdoors, I have um, a background as a guide, how different my relationship to food becomes. That, you know, it's no longer something you're choosing or tasting. It becomes just the greatest indulgence and pleasure. So I think that's what girl would say. <laughs> I, I kind of got that from the book as well. And it, it makes me think of, you know, after a big feast and yeah, and those all those chemicals rushing through your body. It is a fantastic feeling. Not to cut off the book, but I've been dying to know about your life working outdoors and living outdoors. And you mentioned guiding. Um, tell us yeah. about your guiding. Well, I um, I started canoeing, like, you know, the boundary water, waters in Minnesota. Um, we have like huge areas like that in Canada where you sort of go on long distance canoe trips. So portaging and and uh, that's how I got started in the outdoors, that and hiking. And then I moved to Oregon and became an instructor for Outward Bound, which is an outdoor organization. And I was a guide there. So I did um, mountaineering and whitewater rafting trips. And then I've just been a climber, a mountain climber and rock climber for a long time, too. I have small kids right now. So um, my ambitions are a little bit more limited. But actually, my son is uh, my older one is now 12. And he's just... um, 
started climbing in the climbing gym with me. So I have high hopes that we're about to strike out for a few summits soon. <laughs> you are amazing. Um, I think that sounds fantastic. You are, had told me earlier that you met your husband in Oregon. So that must have been your outward bound um, yes. era. Yeah, we were both instructors there. So it was a good way to meet, actually. We, um, so we got, we've been married 21 years now. So um, I got married at 20. 23 but we sort of met and started climbing together and then when you're climbing with someone it's so intense and uh we've actually fought like it's funny because we don't fight very much now but we got everything out in that first year we met and I felt like I knew him exactly because when you're dangling like 500 feet you know off a rock face in the air and you're really dependent on that other person for your safety and your life it sets you up well for getting married and having kids. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the basis of our relationship. Complete trust. Work, yeah, things, exactly. work things out uh, or die, you know, so it's yeah. pretty simple. <laughs> so you really got um, long stretches of time where you lived and worked outside. It does sound like it was great prep for uh, imagining uh, a Neanderthal woman. Yeah, so I have a thing about, like, even in fiction, that I need some kind of authority to write about a certain topic. So I've always been interested in Neanderthals. When I grew up, I was in school, I was taught that they were, um, so they were kind of like a type of human that lived 40,000 years ago, and we found their skeletons. And when I was growing up, I learned that we were evolved from them. So they were sort of like an intermediary. So, you know, everyone's seen that um, diagram of like, there's a chimpanzee on one side, and it's like the slow evolution of man. And it ends up with like, a straight, um, you know, man standing at the top with our big heads and and the Neanderthals always kind of in the middle sort of stooped over, and they were seen as primitive. Um, but I started reading, I guess, about in 2010, that the story was quite different, that actually they were extremely close to us, so close that we could interbreed genetically. Um, and I got really interested because I thought, you know, everything I've learned about Neanderthals was wrong. You know, and you, you know, when there's these big revisions in science and you, you realize, A, you're getting old and B, that what you learned in school is no longer true. So, um I started reading all about them, but I didn't think I'd write about them because I'm not a scientist. I'm not an anthropologist, um, but I was actually hiking outdoors um, in this area called the Escarpment, uh, sort of two hours north of Toronto. And there's all these limestone caves and it was winter. I was snowshoeing and I went into one of the caves and I sort of huddled in there. And the week before, I'd just been reading about the idea of cavemen and did early humans or Neanderthals live in caves. And that's where we find a lot of their artifacts. So some of the researchers were saying, you know, we find their artifacts there maybe just because that's where they preserve. And there was this whole debate. But when I was in, and I didn't really have much input. I didn't, and then I was huddled in this cave and it was a brown zero and it was miserable. You know how rock gets freezing in the winter? So, you know, you, it felt like the heat was like leaching out of my skin. And I have spent many nights in snow huts that I've built. You can make them cozy and warm and like light a candle inside and wear a t-shirt. They can be so comfortable. 
And when I was huddled in that cave, I had no doubt if I had any skills and could build a snow hut, that's where I'd be. I wouldn't be in this miserable cave. So I started to see how uh, taking a view of my experience in the outdoors could start, I could start to interpret the research in my own way. And that was really when I sort of gave myself the permission to start writing fiction. I think that is fascinating. And I wondered if you had a background in anthropology or archaeology as I was reading and didn't see anything um, where you talked about it before. But what a what a really authentic place to approach it from, which is they obviously survived for quite a long time, the Neanderthals. And so they had to have survival skills. So ipso facto cave. (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, so then, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. All you go. <laughs> oh, well, the Neanderthals actually. So, er, humans in our current form have probably it's sort of debated, but we've existed for about forty to seventy thousand years, and the Neanderthals it, um, lasted for at least two hundred thousand. So they have done far better than us if you want to, you know, measure against time. And there's an earlier kind of a uh, human called Homo erectus, who was uh, around for millions. You know, it's, it's so actually we're pretty short lived in terms of um, the different kinds that came before us. So the actual, when you got down to plot and the story itself, yeah. um, it's much more than just a story about a Neanderthal girl. It goes far deeper than that. Can you tell us some about where you got your story idea and, and the book itself? Yeah, so it's the story of a Neanderthal named Girl, and it's kind of told like a documentary in the course of a year of her life. You know, those nature documentaries that follow the seasons. Um, and then it's also about, uh, a, um, did I just sound Canadian there when I said about? About, That's yeah. how you sound Canadian, out and about the house. Um, <laughs> so so uh, there's also a story about an archaeologist who finds the bones of a Neanderthal together with a modern human. And they're sort of together. Um, and to her, they feel like these two beings must have had a relationship because they were buried together. So um, the story of the modern woman, the archaeologist and girl are sort of told in parallel. And uh, I actually didn't mean to write the modern part of the story, but it Rose, the archaeologist, just kept coming in. And um, I had this moment where I realized why. And it was um, during the birth of my second child. So he was big. He was 10 and a half pounds. Oh. <laughs> and I would labor with him. I know any woman can relate to that. Uh, and it's it was, you know, I don't know how they do it now, but I had a um, monitor on me with his heartbeat. And there was some thing happening and the doctors were looking at it and I just heard the beep start to slow and there was like a chart with a needle and the needle started to go down and there was a big panic and all these doctors came running in the head um, of the department came in and I I must have it felt I don't know if it was but it felt like there's 20 people around me and the head doctor turned to me and he said you have one push to get this baby out and what had happened was he um, was coming down in the birth canal and the umbilical cord was wrapped twice around his neck um so when i pushed i was strangling him and um it was just what you know it was the most terrifying position i've ever been in and and the 
the doctor said, okay, you tell us when the next contraction's coming and one push. And, you know, you sort of go to the hospital to submit yourself to have someone else fix it. <laughs> and I realized this was, I could feel it was life or death and it was only me. And I had to be so brave. And there was one moment where I could feel a panic sort of come in. And then I thought, you know what? So many women have done this before me. And I, it was almost like I felt like I could reach my hand back and take, you know, the hand of the woman who'd done it before me. And we went on in a chain. And I felt so connected to my past, I think, because our bodies are imperfect. And we have these huge heads and narrow <laughs> pelvis. Yes. And it barely works. It's not ideal. I felt like the imperfection of this setup, too. And so I just got such, I, you know, it was like the panic came and then the strength. And I just took so much strength from 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 the women that were before me. Um, and my baby was born healthy, thank goodness, because I think it was quite close. And there's a lot of stories that don't end that way. But, but it became the sort of central thing of this book of how we have evolved into these imperfect, <laughs> in these imperfect bodies that have sort of been tinkered at over the years. But the other thing that really came to me was that our bodies haven't changed very much in 40,000 years. And they were quite close to that of Neanderthals. And this is you know, for all our modern conveniences, our refrigerators, our central heating, these things are having babies is very raw and very primal and very similar to how it was. And absolutely integral. And absolutely Everything starts, starts there. And yeah. so, you know, the, the position of girl within her family and their hopes for her to find a mate and to create the next generation were at the center of everything that this family was preparing for. It was, it was really, really um, um, powerful. Mm. And all the, it's funny when I started, I did about five years of research. I got probably a little too into it, but um, <laughs> when I started reading about all, you know, what anthropologists or paleontologists um, had written, it was really striking that the central question around all of the academic work, generally speaking, and it's changing now, but who was Neanderthal man? Or, you know, who, and it, there's very little written about women at all. And, you know, and often when they are considered, it's in this very passive role. So I thought, you know, if I'm rewriting Neanderthals and sort of showing that they were much human, more human than we previously thought, and much more sophisticated, then what about focusing on the women? That's a really interesting way to sort of turn things on their head. Yeah. And I, I love that you did that. It felt very, very natural. It it felt real. It felt like that's the way that it always should have been. Because, of course, when you are living, you know, out in the wild, surviving against all the things they had to serve, you know, survive, um, what's more important than keeping that next baby alive and having that next child without them? There's nothing. Everything ends. Um, so I found it really fascinating. And and also that without it feeling forced, it, the very natural way in which you wove in so many taboos around women and sexuality in this book. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, it, I was, um, I mean, there's so much we don't 
talk about, isn't there? Um, and some of that was based on the archaeology. So um, the Neanderthal population was increasingly small towards their end, 40,000 years ago, and they lived in smaller groups than modern humans and um, more isolated from each other. Um, so I kind of took that archaeological evidence and, and in um, sort of alluding to, but this only happens about a third in the book. So, but, uh, but there, there's signs of interbreeding and that sort of thing in the later Neanderthals. So I wanted to, that was sort of the approach I took with the science. I was like, okay, where are the controversies? So, because we've used all these things to show that we're sort of better than the Neanderthals, like we buried our dead or we made jewelry. And as the scientists go through the sites and have more sophisticated ways of interpreting them, they're finding that Neanderthals did all those things too. So speech or burying their dead or making beads. Um, so the, yeah, those, those were kind of the, the things I looked at. Um, and it seemed to me to tie in with the modern story as well, the taboos specifically, mm -hmm. because there's so many of them, I think, that are still present in our everyday life, but that we are more able to suppress because we all, you know, we live in um, sort of sanitized life's, lives in comparison. So in the Neanderthal story, the 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 girl the neanderthal is going through them very explicitly and having to cope head on whereas the modern woman is trying to pretend that she lives in a completely rational world in some ways and and trying to um, grapple with the things that are happening to her in a rational way when they aren't necessarily right yeah if you, any woman that has um ever battled her hormones can tell you that that's not always are we governed by the rational. Sometimes it's, you know, I, I like to think that it's kind of like you saying that reaching back your hand in time to all the women before you, that we've all, we, this, this thing within us has existed for millennia, this thing that makes us woman. And yeah. that's not just our physical body itself, but the hormones within it and the way it governs our reproduction and our drive to reproduce and um, the battles we have with the world around us. I, I just found it all extremely fascinating and compelling. And I found myself much more leaning forward for girls' story than I um, expected to be, much more able to relate to it um, yeah. and fascinated by the little things like, I can't even do it. The curling of the upper lip to sense the heat of other animals around you and things. And I'm yeah. sitting there reading the book, you know, <laughs> it was wonderful. Yeah. I, I used in a way, the modern story is kind of a foil for girls. So my hope was that, because I, I think the modern story is a little bit hard to read and that it feels very immediate. And I didn't shy away from the difficulty and the complexity that it can be to be a woman who's working and having a child or specifically a woman in the sciences too. Um, unfortunately, I've had a lot of women in the sciences email me and say, you know, you really got that spot on, which is kind of too bad because she goes through a hard time. But, but, um, but in a way I also, I question sometimes the idea of progress, you know, we sort of think of ourselves as, as we've gone from primitive to perfect in our current incarnation, but 
really, when you're a woman in modern society having a baby, you start to realize that things aren't quite perfect because you you have to keep working, but that's very difficult. And you're you you don't we live in these like small isolated groups. We don't have people around to help us. Um, and it can be very isolating to be a modern woman and have a baby. You feel sort of shoved off away from the world. And like you're sort of supposed to disappear and reemerge later. Um, and I think it's actually very difficult. Um, I, I agree with that. Uh, so now, how do you, after writing such a magnificent book that that tied back to things you've been interested in as a child. How do you talk that? What's next? Oh, that's what I'm always, uh, I always feel like I've written the last thing. I'll never write again. Um, (laughs) I'm writing two things right now, which is funny. And I've never done that before, but I'm kind of switching back and forth. And one is about um, some Victorian mountaineers um, who were women and it's incredible what they did, some of them in skirts. <laughs> so, um, so I'm kind of interested in them and wanting to write their story. And then I'm also interested in artificial intelligence, which sounds funny, but it again is, you know, I'm going from sort of like the deep past to the future, but it's something that also brings up the question of what makes us human and questions who we are and what we're doing here. So, um, yeah, so I'm really interested in that as well. My um, oldest daughter is doing her dissertation for her PhD in computer science on artificial intelligence, and it's very controversial for exactly that reason. (laughs) For her, because that's one of my things. I think we need more women on the subject. I mean, we're the ultimate creators in a way, aren't we? We could do another half hour on this because I spent a lot of time going back and forth with her. She's, you know, developing the topic in writing and, and the challenge she has as a woman in the field and also her view on AI, because she's thinking of how do you use AI in the real world with interactive with humans and not as a replacement for humans. And her focus on is on the classroom. So anyway, I think that's really fascinating. Good for her. She's awesome. (laughs) Hey, Nicole. Um, (laughs) So, um, so if people wanted to learn more about you and your books, which I'm sure they do now, um, how do they find you? So I'm on, well, I have a website, which is claire-cameron.com, but I'm also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So, and I'm pretty chatty on all of those. (laughs) So anyone is welcome to follow or get in touch or whatever else. I'm happy to hear from you. I'd love to. Oh, that's fantastic. And with, um, I also read and and meant to ask you and didn't, are you still, um, you still working outside of your novels. I saw for at least for a while that you were um, a staff writer with The Millions, for instance. Oh, yeah. So I write about books and authors from time to time. Um, I'm on hiatus right now just because I'm trying to write another book. But um, it's how I've never really done any formal training in writing. And so I find interviewing people or writing an in-depth article about a couple of books. An essay is a really great way of sort of refreshing myself and fine tuning. So I do that as well. Well, that's another thing I find fascinating about you. I'm a big believer in that while we can become better writers by learning about the craft of writing, that some people are born with stories and are born storytellers and find a way to get them out and and thank the Lord for good editors and (laughs) all the other people in the publishing industry. Yeah, that's very true. 
<laughs> well, um, this has been a treat and I um, I'm really look forward to what you have next and sincerely enjoyed um, your book. So thank you for being on with me today, Claire. Thank you for having me, Pamela. And, and please say hi to your builders for me. I will. <laughs> I will. Um, yes. Um, hopefully we'll have the horses back in pasture today and I can visit um the Amish community in Montana that I've grown to know and love with all my trips back and forth with the team. So um, I just really want to thank uh, most of all you readers slash listeners for tuning in today. I hope you get a chance to check out, check out Claire's um, latest novel, The Last Neanderthal. This is near and dear to my heart to find a woman who is truly like Claire, kicking ass um, and writing books. And I think that you'll really love um, getting to know Girl and Rose and her books. So until next time, Pamela Fagan Hutchins, Wine, Women, and Writing. You go out there and read some great books for me.